Here we can take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And if you need a Bible, we have some there on the back table. Is there anyone that needs a Bible here today? All right. John chapter 15, and that is page 1027. 1027 in your Bible. And uh, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. As we continue in John 15, we're looking at what Jesus taught his disciples at the end of his ministry. He taught them about bearing fruit. And this is a vital and important text for us here today. John chapter 15, verse 1 through 8. And Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, you are clean through the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you. In this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you shall be my disciples. Let's pray. O Lord in heaven, I thank you for the chance to open your word today. And as your word is given, as it is preached and taught and applied, I ask that you will receive the glory. Help us to see, dear God, that you look for fruit in us. Help us to see that we must abide in you, and it is not something that we can do alone. Forgive us and help us for our independence from you and help us to lean upon you more and more. Help this time, I ask, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As I was growing up, my uh, dad was quite a gardener. He loved to garden. We called him the man with the green thumb. And um, he had a very large garden for a number of years. And as a child, I viewed the garden as a curse I hated the garden with a passion because it was a place of work, it was a place of effort, and Dad would call us out there for hours to weed, and he would teach us to plant, and I know in his mind he was thinking, someday these kids are going to have a garden of their own, and they're going to appreciate this. Now I have to admit, I do not have a garden of my own. I like eating from a garden, but all the other parts just don't click with me very well, and um, I actually tried to plant one one time. I, you know, finances had caught up with me, and I thought, I'm going to save some money. Now, planting a garden in North Carolina is very different than planting a garden up in Minnesota. So I tried to plant my garden, and I just stuck seeds in red dirt, and believe me, we got nothing from that garden. We got zero, and it wasn't just because I didn't weed or anything. It was just the soil down here is very, very different. Well, uh, growing up, my uh, dad taught us how to garden, and my sister, I'll tell you that story in a little bit about some action that she took in the garden that very humorous little story about my sister. As we get into this passage, though, I want us to think about the fact of a garden without fruit is a waste. And not only is it a waste, it is deeply frustrating and um, 
counterproductive to have a garden and then get nothing from it. I experienced that here in North Carolina. Um, and, and so when you plant and you put in seeds and then you have these plants come up and so you, you cultivate, you do all this work and then to get nothing from it is very, very frustrating. How much more than for God the Father to plant His own seeds, to, to cultivate His own plants, and then to receive no fruit from them. How much greater of a frustration it is for Him. Verse 1 says, I am the true vine. Now, before we get into ver verse 1, look back with me at the prior verse. The last sentence of the prior verse says, Arise, let us go from here. So Jesus told the disciples, let's go from here. And uh, people aren't precisely sure where on the route this word is spoken. There may have been some vines along in the valley that he stopped and he said, I'm the true vine. Another idea, and this is my best guess, is that they actually stopped by the temple. Because the temple was there, and because it was the night uh, or the, the week of, of Passover, the temple gates would have been open and there would have been activity late in the evening. And um, on the temple gates, there was a beautiful vine was a part of the, what shall we say, architecture. And, and so the old vine that they had known before Christ would have been the vine of, of Israel. And even in Isaiah 5, the Old Testament says, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And so the temple and the temple system and the sacrifices and Israel itself was this vine that believers had known before. And when someone had faith in Jehovah, they would come to Jerusalem, they would come to the temple, they would offer their own sacrifice. And Jesus now, I imagine him, saying this in front of the temple and all the activity and all the sacrifices and everything going on there, and he says, I am the true vine. You know, in, in a few decades, that whole temple would be torn down. In just days, that temple uh, divider, that uh, thing there in the temple dividing the Holy of Holies was split by the hand of God and torn open, right? And so that whole system was about to disappear. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. And as believers, we think of that and we say, hallelujah, he is the true vine. He's the real, the enduring, the final fulfillment of all that God was doing. This is Jesus, the true vine. And then he says, my father is the vine dresser. So uh, here we simply would see the idea that Jesus and the father are both uh, participants. And um, as we think of vines and vine dressers and uh, fruit, um, the vine and the fruit that would come from that would be grapes. All right. That would be the, the fruit that we would think of. Um, I hope you like grapes here. Who likes red grapes more than green grapes? All right. We got, who likes green grapes better? All right. Green wins today. Green grapes wins. There's three versus two, okay? There's some that don't want to choose or else they like them equally, okay? But, um, but I just call this verse one, participants in the fruit bearing. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. And this vine dresser, it's, it's kind of the idea of, uh, the word literally means like soil worker. And, uh, and, and it just has the idea of a farmer. In this context, he's talking about vines. So it's more specific to the, vine, the vineyard caretaker, the vine dresser. And um, is there anyone by chance who's raised grapes before? Let's just do a quick check. All right. I'm told that it's kind of, they're kind of touchy. Like it's kind of hard to do them right and to get it to work. And so when you're working in a vineyard, you need someone to care. And so what Jesus is positing to his disciples, he's saying, I'm the vine, 
God the Father, He's the vine dresser. He's watching over this whole thing. I've come to earth. I've come to be the vine. And then He's going to talk about our part. So we have God the Father. We have God the Son. And their work in this vineyard in this first verse. Now, let's look at verse 2. This I call our problem. This is the problem. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He purges that it may bring forth more fruit. The problem is that there are some branches that don't bear fruit. And this is a sad, sad reality, but the text is very clear. Um, Let's uh, pair this up a little bit with verse 3 for just a moment. Verse 3 says, Now you are clean through the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus tells these men, You are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Now, let's put our thinking caps on for just a minute. How many men was Jesus talking to? Eleven. We have a correct answer from the back row. Eleven is the correct number. Now, earlier in the night, there had been twelve men there, right? There had been twelve. And if we go back, let's just look at this verse. John 13. Flip your page over. John 13, verse 10. Jesus is saying what he says here, I believe, in connection to what he says in John 13. John 13, 10, Jesus said to him, He who is washed needs only to wash his feet, but is every bit clean. Notice this next line. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. So who is the one that would betray him? Judas Iscariot. And between John 13, 10 and John 15, what happened with Judas? He got up and left. Remember, he went out into the night, he took the money. And so Jesus earlier had said, you are clean, uh, but not all. So Jesus is very specifically saying, you're clean except for the one guy. And now that he's gone, Jesus says, you are all clean through the word which I have spoken to you. These 11 men are saved men. And Jesus tells them here, you are all clean. Now, how did you and I become clean? We became clean through Jesus, right? But how did we know the truth of Jesus? Through the word of God. And Jesus, elsewhere, he says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life, right? So here he says, you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. He taught them the truth that he was the Messiah. As they placed their faith in him, they became clean. They became saved. They became washed, as we talked about earlier in the service, washed in the blood of the lamb, the blood that was yet to come, still washed sins ahead of time for these men. Now you are clean. So what does this have to do with verse 2? What it has to do, and this is a really important point, this is a really important point. Verse 2 says every branch, what's the next two words in your Bible? In me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The branches that he talks about taking away are saved people. They are saved people. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. In the next verse, in verse number three, he warns, or he tells them all, you are all clean. So Jesus is very clearly stating, all you 11 disciples are saved, you are clean, you are mine, you are in me. But he warns them in verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. You say, what does this mean, Pastor John? Well, what it means is this. Uh, Some people would try to say, see, this means you can lose your salvation. Absolutely not. Um, The Bible in many, many places teaches we cannot lose our salvation. So what does it mean that a branch could be taken away? Well, Jesus said he is the vine, right? 
It says, you are the branches. Now, a very important question is, where's the vineyard? Well, the vineyard would be right where we are right now. It's where we live. It's, it's the world. It's right, the right here and now. And is there something in the Bible where we're warned about believers being taken out of this world? Yes, we are. We're warned about the sin unto death in 1 John chapter 5. We're warned certainly about chastening, where if we go off in sin, God the Father can chasten and discipline us and bring us back. But then in 1 John 5, it warns us about a sin unto death. And that is where we have grown so distant from Christ, and we've hardened our heart, and we're persisting in sin, and God has worked and worked, and we continue to resist, and God says, all right, my time with you is done. I'm going to take your life. I understand that to be what this is talking about in verse 2, and we'll see it again in verse 6 more clearly. So what's the problem? The problem is this. Just because you're saved does not automatically mean you're just going to be spouting off fruit. There's another step involved. There's another piece to the puzzle. And I know there's some pastors and teachers that, that really say, well, if you're saved, you're going to bear all sorts of fruit. Well, I know that's God's design. That's His intention. That's His plan for us. But Jesus right here says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. What is the warning? The warning is don't just rest in the fact that you're saved. Say, well, I'm saved. I'm saved. And, and God's just going to do the rest. No. Well, yes and no. But the Bible's going to teach us here that we have to abide in Him. We have to first be clean, be saved, be connected to Him by faith in Christ. And then secondly, what's the second step to bear fruit? Well, we find this down in verse 4. So we've seen the problem, and uh, quickly in verse 3, I've kind of already explained it about being saved, but, but the simple platform of fruit bearing is that we have to be saved. It's the starting point. It's, it's the foundation. It's step one. And if, if you are not bearing fruit, it's because you're not abiding or it's because you've never been saved. And, and you, you have to be saved before He can live through you and live in you and work in your heart. And so uh, uh, it's a certainly a, a question for us is, are we bearing fruit? And if not, why not? And the platform for fruit bearing is salvation. But let's notice verse 4. Jesus says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. No more can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. These two verses lay out before us this simple, simple truth about fruit bearing. And there's a sense in which in our minds it's so basic. It's so, it's so simple. So let me go back to my dad's uh, gardening. When my dad gardened, uh, I remember doing a number of things to prevent fruit being lost or taken, vegetables, etc. And two animals we had a big problem with was raccoons and deer. Raccoons and deer were a big problem. And so he had a fence, and sometimes I know he added a wire to the fence, and then he added an electric fence, and that electric fence, you know, you could even hear it humming, you know. And every once in a while, there were occasions where I would get the zap. And to this day, I cannot stand electricity because I'm just scared of getting zapped. And one time I got zapped really bad. Now, I don't know if there was an electric fence. I can't remember what it was, but I literally felt it go through my heart. It like went, and that just, that's like worse than, you know, nails on the chalkboard for me. But he, he's setting up all these things. He's got the, the fence. And one time, I remember, he put a radio out there, and he heard that, I don't know, 
maybe raccoons didn't like country music or something, I don't know what it was. I don't know what he was playing on this radio, but he had learned that if you turn the radio on and leave it on all night, the animals would stay away. So he had this radio, and he had this fence, and what's the whole point? It's he, does, he wants the fruit. He wants that fruit for himself, and so he's taking all this effort to, to protect things and, and to set things up to, to prosper and to grow and to have those vegetables and those um, products now, tomatoes are fruit. He was big on tomatoes. One year, he had 89 tomato plants. And I just remember thinking to myself, who? Who plants 89 tomato plants? I'll tell you who it is. My dad. And he would eat them. Oh, aren't these good, son? Wasn't this worth all the work out there? Yes, dad. But there was a story of my sister where dad gave her a little spot. And he said, you can do what you want with this little spot in the garden. And so she says, okay. And she's literally like a six-year-old or something. She got herself some peas. And she dug a hole, and she poured this whole packet of peas into one little hole in the ground. And I remember my dad coming along later, and he said, what is that? And Tina said, those, those are my peas. And he said, you, you put them all in one spot? Yeah. So we called it Tina's pea bush. So here comes this, like, mound of, like, peas, like, growing up like this. You know what was interesting about Tina's pea bush is that it never did bear any peas there was never any peas from that thing because they were all just eating each other up and they never got what they needed to bear fruit. As we think about us and bearing fruit, the, the simple truth is this, we have what we need to bear fruit. And you know what you need to bear fruit? You say, I need lots of things. No, according to the Bible, you need one thing. Jesus. You need Jesus to bear fruit. First in saving faith, but then on a daily, regular basis, walking with Jesus, listening to Jesus, learning of Jesus, in harmony and connection with Jesus, we bear fruit. He says, abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself. And this is so simple, it's so obvious. If you go over to an apple tree and you saw off a branch and you bring that in and place it in your living room and you say, in three months, I'm going to harvest me some apples from this branch. We all know that's not going to work. That's not how it works. The, that tree, you know, I am told that certain branches, you can cut them off and they'll still put off some leaves afterwards. They'll still put out a little leaf growth sometimes. But they won't put off fruit. You know why? Because the branch has to be connected to the main core of the tree. Or in the instance of a vine, if you cut the branch off from the vine, it will not bear fruit. And the Bible is teaching us and Jesus is teaching us, you need me. You need me to bear fruit. Not just that day 14 years ago when you trusted Christ. You need me today to bear fruit. Right here, right now. And Christians, sometimes we get tempted and sometimes we get in the habit of thinking that because I have education or I have experience or because I've learned certain things or because of this, that, or the other, that somehow we don't need to walk with Jesus and we can just do God's work we can just see good things happen even though we're not in harmony and connection with Jesus. And Jesus warns us. He says, uh, that's impossible. And, you know, when we think of a kid cutting off the, the branch of an apple tree and bringing it inside, we kind of say, oh, how ridiculous of you, you know. Clearly, you're, you're very ignorant of how this works. But sometimes in our spiritual life, we do the same thing. And we think that somehow it's smart or wise or it's going to work. I want to, the passage is so simple and so clear, but, but I just want to remind us that 
do you have do you have goodness and grace in your life have you learned forgiveness have you learned uh joy have you found peace do you have any of these in your life I hope you can say yes to something, to some of these, to somewhat. I know nobody's perfect, but we all see some things and we say, wow, this is good, this is great. And my question is, where did it come from? How did it get there? I, I had a conversation about a month ago with my mechanic. And I can't remember if I shared this or not, but he said, he told me, he said, he said you're, you're a good man. And I said, well, I, I said, I'm, I'm not completely sure about that, but I said, the goodness I do have is not from me. He says, well, and we had already talked about Jesus. He knew I was a pastor, and so it wasn't like brand new or anything. And we had talked, and I said, you don't know me like I know me. And I said, I know who I am without Jesus. I know what my life is like without Jesus. I said, that goodness is not for me. And he says, well, certainly you had a part in that. I said, no, <laughs> no, absolutely not. I said, Jesus made me who I am. His goodness, that's where it came from. And Christian, our fruit the fruit of the Spirit is from the Spirit of God. It's from Jesus. It is not from our hearts. Now, yes, we have to walk with Him. Yes, we have to learn of Him. But He is the one that bears fruit through us. And so He tells these disciples, abide in Me. Do you remember what Jesus had just gotten done telling them that night? I'm going away. And now He says, abide in Me. The word abide, let me just take a moment. The word abide means to live in Me, to dwell in me to continue in me or to remain in me and i think maybe these disciples are scratching their heads a little bit like he's going away but keep living in me you know like they're they're kind of processing through some of these things and they were really disturbed earlier and he, he calms them down and he tells them the holy spirit's going to come the holy spirit's going to work and and when we talk about abiding in jesus and walking in the holy spirit i believe they're they're identical they're the same thing that's why jesus could say earlier I will come to you. And what he means is I'm going to come to you through the Holy Spirit to be with you. We can live in him. We can remain in him. We can continue and dwell in him. And he says, you live in me and I'll live in you. The branch can't bear fruit by itself. Now, let's get down to the end of verse 5. And he makes this very clear. And I'm going to emphasize it one more time. For without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Now, that is rather comprehensive. And sometimes we get kind of in the mindset that without Christ, we can't do as much as we could do with him. Right? Like, maybe if I had a little bit more union with Christ, maybe I could do a little more for him, but I can at least do this much for him. And Jesus says, no, you can do this much without me. Zero. 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 That, that doesn't exactly stroke our egos too much, does it? That doesn't maybe encourage us on a human level, but that's the whole point. Is Jesus saying, you've got to lean on me for everything. Now, let, let's talk about this for just a minute. Is it possible for me to have health without Jesus? No, it's not. It's not possible. Now, we might say, we might think, well, I remember a season in my life where I was far from the Lord and I still had health. Okay, fair point, but where did it come from? It still came from Christ. The health that we have comes from Jesus. Is it possible to have finances without Jesus? I could go on and on all through our life. God in His power gives us. He created us. He gives us health. He gives us finances. He gives us relationships and opportunities. And He can revoke them as He chooses. Everything in our life is from the Lord. And when we in our spiritual life begin to start thinking that we can serve the Lord apart from the Lord, that doesn't even make sense to say it, does it? Serve the Lord apart from the Lord. But that can happen. 
as we rely on self and as we drift from Christ, we can start imagining and thinking that we can do things for God without his grace, without his blessing. Now let's talk for just a minute more in verse 6. So the partnership is abiding, it's leaning on him. And uh, let's talk for a minute about verse number 6. Now this is a, a return to verse number 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, verse 2. Now in verse 6, he further talks about this taking away. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch. Now, this is very simple, but verse 2, he says, if a, if a branch does not bear fruit, right? If, um, I'm sorry, yeah, every branch that does not bear fruit. In verse 6, he, he changes the phrasing a little bit. He says, the man who does not abide in me. And he has already said, you can't bear fruit without abiding in me, right? So you, you see the logical progression here. If I'm not bearing fruit, it's because I'm not abiding in him. So in verse 6, he says, if a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch. He is cast forth as a branch. Now, this is quite simple to anyone who knows gardening and, and taking care of trees and, and garden and so on. And um, Esther does do a little gardening, okay? She's the, the qualified gardener of the Ita Flesh household. And she enjoys it. And I enjoy eating the tomatoes and various things that she grows. But um, I remember her telling me that with the tomato plants, she would um, go out to them and she would start cutting off parts of the tomato plant. And she explained, she said, if you have too many branches, they, it's kind of like they start too many tomatoes and then they don't grow very big, and sometimes, uh, you know, you can have problems. So what you do is you limit the number, and then you get better fruit out of the hole and so on. And another thing she would do is if, if one branch started to get brown or kind of to die, she would tear it off. And she explained to me, and I think my dad maybe explained to me years ago, that when you have a dead branch, it still kind of sucks out some energy, but it doesn't actually produce. And so there's a, a cutting off and a trimming so that that can fully bear the most and the best fruit. So as he says here, look, if, if a man is not abiding in me, he's cast forth as a branch. And so the vine dresser, the farmer, the one who's managing this vine, he comes along to the vine and he looks through and he says, we got to get this thing ready for peak season here. And he starts cutting off the branches that are not bearing fruit. Now I'm thankful that we serve a patient God. And even though there's a day or a week or a month where we may be apart from Christ, we are able to return to him and to grow and to get back in fellowship and to produce fruit. But he does warn and he says, if, if he does not abide in me, he's cast forth as a branch. And, and he says, these branches are cut off and they're cast aside and they're disposed of. These people burn up a bunch of dead branches and get rid of them. And... Some people have tried to say, again, I believe with a little bit of confusion in their thinking, they say, see, this is hell. And, and um, if you don't bear fruit, it means you were never saved, and, and so therefore you're going to hell. Uh, I, I don't think that's at all what Jesus is trying to teach. He's simply talking about what people do with branches. They get rid of them, they cast them, they dispose of them. And so it is that as a Christian, if I never bear fruit for the Lord, if I'm walking in rebellion and, and out of His will, and I continue and I persist, and I don't ever get right with God, God may just take me out of this world. And it's, it is a reminder, if we just pause and think, why are we left here anyway? Right? We're saved. 
Why don't God just take us to heaven today? I mean, so, there are certain days where we say, Dear Lord, may today be the day, right? I'd just like to get on with you and get over with this. But, but Jesus saves us and He leaves us here. And some Christians have a real hard time with that. Well, one of the main purposes He does that is so we can bear fruit for Him. And what is bearing fruit? Well, bearing fruit is the, the work of the Holy Spirit in me, and it's shown in the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace. It's shown in righteousness and obedience to the Lord as He helps us obey Him. It's shown in sharing the Gospel with others. And, and when others come to faith and place their faith in Christ, that is fruit, the Bible says. Paul talked about people that gave money to his mission project. And he said that it would bear fruit to your account. And so financially giving to see others come to Christ, that is another way that we bear fruit. Fruit happens a lot of different ways. So in a sense, that can encourage us. Maybe we're, we're kind of weak in this area, but we are bearing some fruit over here, right? And, you know, the Bible says Jesus is going to purge. He's going to clean and trim and cut back so that we can bear more fruit. And I, sometimes when I preach this text, as I have a couple times over the years, I, I talk about no fruit, fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Because at the end, he says, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So this is the text. This is the passage. If we don't bear fruit, if we continue in that, in that state, we may be cut off the vine, taken out of this world, taken up to be with the Lord, and there's Bible examples of people where this was their story. Ananias and Sapphira were believers. They rejected the Lord. They resisted the Lord. And God took them out of this world. Um, in 1 Corinthians, he warns them about a casual attitude towards communion and taking God's service and the giving of elements in a real casual, uh, who cares sort of manner. Some of them were even inebriated while they were taking communion. And he says, for this reason, some of you are sick and some of you have died. He uses the word asleep. And there again, we see the, the teaching that as a believer disobeys the Lord in a persistent or in a, in a great way, sometimes God removes their life. And that should cause us to live for the Lord and to take Him seriously. Quickly then, verse 7, in these, this verse we see how we abide, all right? Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you. Now this is the basic basis of how we abide in Him. Two things. His word and prayer. His word and prayer. And you say, I don't, I, is, is church in there somewhere? Is church in the text? Yes, it is. The scripture and prayer. That's what we do at church, all right? We sing too, all right? We, we do some other things, but scripture and prayer. And so the Bible is saying, look, you talk to me and I talk to you. You read my word, you let your, my words abide in you, then you're abiding in me. And this is why reading the Word, spending time in prayer on a daily, regular basis is so important. Because we have to have His Word. We have to speak to Him in prayer. And He says, this is abiding in me. When we're out of fellowship with God, and, and there's something wrong in our heart, or there's something that's just keeping us from God, you know, it's shown up in our Bible reading our prayer time. And, and sometimes your Bible reading prayer time gets really cold and it gets and you try to do it and you're like, I don't feel like doing this at all and you know sometimes that means there's something there's something that we've done or we've omitted and and that's caused a, a breach in that relationship and all of a sudden that abiding in that relationship does not work the way it's supposed to and so um this is a great test if if you've not read the word and you've not prayed and that's been your case for days guess what you're out of fellowship you're not abiding in him 
and Jesus calls you back and He says, abide in me, abide in me. I'm so thankful it's not quite like a branch in this way. When you break off a branch, it's pretty much done. You know, I mean, it's just like, it's over. But um, the Bible here is using this picture, but, but the simple truth is this. There are moments where we may be out of fellowship and He invites us back. He says, I'm your advocate. If you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you, right? And so the Bible teaching is that we can be out of fellowship and then get that right and move back into fellowship with Christ. Let this be our story. Not that we go on without fruit, but that we say, dear Lord, help me to walk with you again. Help me to live in you again. Help me to let your grace flow through me. Lastly, verse 8. In this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Let's talk about that for just a minute. In this, when you bear much fruit, my Father is glorified. When you abide in me and you read the word and you pray and my life is lived out in you and good things come out of your life, God gets the glory. God gets the glory. It reminds me of Matthew where he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God the Father, He is doing things and He's getting the glory for it. The the Bible even talks about several places where the angels look down on the things that God does. And we don't always think about that a lot, but, but just imagine with me, as, as someone abides in Christ and good things flow out of their life, God looks down and He says, see that? See what I did right there? See how my glory is spreading right in that little family, right in that situation, right in that workplace? Do you see how, how that life has been transformed? And That's because they're walking with me. And, and look at that. And I think the angels gather around and they say, praise to you, O God Almighty. They give the glory to God, right? And when we bear fruit, we should give the glory to God and say, this is what God's done in my life. Don't just say, oh, it's because I'm a really good person. No, if if you're saved and it's through Jesus, give Him the glory. And verse 8 says, my Father is glorified. And one day our whole life will be laid before the Lord. And when when that fire purges our life and all that remains comes out of that fire, guess what that is? That's the fruit. That's what He's done through us. That's the days and the times and the seasons where we walk with Him and He's brought souls and righteousness and all these good things out of our life and and we'll maybe get a crown or two or hopefully more and then then we'll cast them back at his feet and it will be to the glory of God to the honor of God and then lastly look at that last phrase so you shall be my disciples (laughs) now these men were probably wait a minute I thought we already were your disciples I thought we already were a disciple what do you mean so shall ye be my disciples uh, how does that uh, fit? Well, a disciple means a follower. And Jesus reminds them that it's not sufficient just to have followed God in the past. But we must follow Him today. And it's not enough to just bear fruit in the past. I need to bear fruit today. And sadly, there are some Christians that are simply content to go back and remember what God did 20 years ago through them and how God worked 15 years ago. And we rejoice in all that God has done in the past. But I want God to work today right now, in my life today. And he says, so shall you be my disciples. So you shall be my disciples. Um, That word be can also be become. And we can be a disciple, but we can be a better disciple, right? We can be a disciple, but become more of a disciple as life goes on. And, And he's calling these men to walk with him. Let's remember these men were apostles. They had power. Let's remember these men, they could cast out demons in Jesus' name. Let's remember they had the power to heal. 
Remember all these things that, that God had given them? The authority that God had given them? But you do know that there was a time where they brought to Jesus a demon-possessed one. I'm sorry. And they said, we gave it to your disciples, but they couldn't do anything with it. And Jesus said, this kind cannot come out but by prayer and fasting. And clearly these disciples had lost sight of that relationship and connection aspect with Christ. And they had trusted in their own power and their own strength. And that demon beat them. It won the day. Just because these men were apostles, just because they had authority, just because God had given them special promises, didn't mean that they could not abide in Christ and bear fruit. And I'll just be clear, I am not an apostle. I am not a prophet. I don't have powers to cast out demons. I don't have any of those things. And if they needed to hear this, how much more do we? How much more do we need to remember we must abide in Christ? I must abide in Christ. If you pray for me as your pastor, I think one of the best prayers you can pray is that I'll abide in Christ, that I'll bear fruit through Him, that I won't trust in my education or my background or my experience or any of those things, but my hope and faith will be in the Lord, that I'll be in daily harmony and union, that my Bible reading and my prayer will be warm and that I won't hold sin in my heart in any way. You pray that prayer for me and I'll tell you what, I will pray that prayer for you. And I'm going to ask God, that this year will be a year of fruit-bearing for Jesus in all sorts of ways, and that he'll get the glory. Let's bow in prayer today. Father, I thank you for this passage, and in some ways it's very simple, it's very elementary, but Lord, it is so needful for our hearts. Help us not to imagine or pretend or assume that we can do anything for you without you. Forgive us for those days and times where we lean on our own strength and we lean on our own wisdom. Lord, help us to daily be in regular harmony and communion with you. Teach me to pray, Lord. Help me to read your word more and more and take out more and more from it that it would benefit me more and more. I pray for our church that we would regularly be a people of prayer, that we'd regularly, daily read your word and take it in and you promised, you told us clearly that if your words abide in us, that we will abide in you and that we will bear fruit. You promised us that as we pray that you will answer our prayers and there will be fruit and results and outflowing things from our prayers. Teach us then to pray and to read and to humbly daily lean on you. I need this truth. We need this truth. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Number four.